yeah. I assume this uh, this paragraph then was from that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> because it was a very good way yeah. for someone yeah. to look at what you do and think, yeah. you know, that's perfect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. read it. <laughs> Caroline Macquarie is an interdisciplinary artist whose primary interest is the concept of home, whether it's located in a domestic space, a community or the land we identify with. She works with photography, video and craft practices to explore meaning carried, carried in photographic and craft-based objects and domestic, suburban or community sites. Exploring the role of the feminine in everyday life and investigating the capacity for the act of making to create agency in women's lives. Macquarie is concerned with how memory and sentiment is manifested in objects, specifically photographs and or hand-crafted objects. Her work also explores how the photographic representation of a site with a particular history can reflect on the present. She's currently working on various projects exploring how small stories in out-of-the-way places can reflect on what happens in the wider world. That was great to have as something you sent <laughs> over because, you know, because then you can start unpicking from there, really. Yeah. Um, and looking at the various projects on your website and the images you sent me, a lot of it comes back to your West Coast upbringing. Yeah. So I was wondering whether you could start off by telling me something about... Your West Coast upbringing yeah, sure. and what that means to you and what it, you know, what yeah. the actual place means. Yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, I was born in um, in Greymouth, which is the biggest town on the West Coast, but not that big. Um, <laughs> and um, I, I, yeah, I had an interesting. I mean, it, it was. I found a pretty interesting kind of kind of upbringing there. Um, it, it. I was slightly maybe different than a lot of my peers because my parents were not originally West Coasters, so they came from Canterbury. And and I think the West Coast is one of those places that um, tradition is kind of everything. Like, there's this sort of joke that says, you know, you um, you have to have been kind of living there for at least kind of 15 years before you can call yourself a West Coaster. You know, there's a um, having having kind of history and, and sort of lineage in the area is, is important to people. And it's a place that is physically more difficult to live in than other places in the country, I, I think. Um, I mean, I think, there, you know, there'll be other other places that are like that. Explain in, in that New to Zealand. some, anyone who might not might be listening, yeah. not from New Zealand. I think the, the weather is reasonably extreme. Everybody who's not from the coast will tell you that it just rains all of the time. Uh, and certainly our rain, the rainfall is high, but um, we also have lovely sunny days. Uh, it's a very narrow strip of land that runs the entire length of the South Island. The mountains are very close to the coast. You have, you, you, you kind of, yeah, you kind of live with both the mountains and the sea in very close proximity. The weather kind of comes straight off the Tasman Sea and kind of hits pretty hard into the, into the mountains and kind of, you, you kind of feel it. Regular earthquakes. Um, because there's a lot of rain, there's a lot of greenery. Um, it's not. It's a reasonably sparsely populated part of the country, so there's a huge amount of native forest, native bush, and you know if you leave a patch of garden or something untended for a little while, the bush kind of reclaims it pretty quickly. And so there's this kind of feeling. So why did your parents move across? Yeah, <coughs> my dad got a job. Um, he worked for company called West Power, who were the local power supply authority. Um, he's, he was an electrical engineer. 
and my mum was a nurse and they yeah they met in Christchurch and hadn't been married for very long maybe about a year I think when they moved over and they thought that they would stay for about um, two, three or four years and that's you know um, nearly 50 years ago um, they almost immediately I think really loved it there and um, dad started learning how to be a potter um, and my mum who'd always been good at sewing started getting into spinning wool and dyeing her own wool and it's it, you know it was the 1970s they got they they sort of got into that slightly kind of alternative yeah lifestyle. yeah and um and did they was, continue with their jobs or yeah they did yeah. yeah and um and also kind of connected with um other people on the coast who were doing that so the the you know the people that we were spending time with growing up were were potters and painters and and mum and dad were part of the west coast society of arts um which had a little gallery moved around to a few different kind of venues before it ended up I think in maybe the very late 1980s it ended up in the building that it's still in now um, which is called the Left Bank Gallery in Greymouth and so yeah I just sort of grew up and around people who were makers essentially. So you're preempting my next question about getting in what got you into art and that yeah. side of things so it was a, your upbringing? Yeah I think so um, I, I think it's yeah it's interesting because my parents had these sort of dual lives if you like they um, Dad's an engineer, Mum was a nurse. On the one hand, they're both kind of science-based, and but then they were also both kind of makers. I have one sister, and she's a vet, and and I'm an artist, and I f- it sort of feels like we kind of we both took a kind of an aspect of of what they did and kind of went our own way with it. But yes, yeah, certainly we um, there was the um, art and particularly craft. I think was always around when we were growing up, definitely. Yeah. So in which case, why photography? Yeah. I, when I was with David Cook in here last year, he, I said to him, what got you into photography? I don't know if I've told you this already. Yeah. And he paused for about two minutes or something. And I thought, I'd, <laughs> yeah, you that's know. Yeah, a good David Cook pause. <laughs> but he came out with, um, I didn't choose photography. Photography chose me. Oh, wow, I was like, yeah. oh, that was worth the wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, no pressure. But, it's um, like the mafia or something. But why, why photography? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I'm sort of the complete opposite to David. Um, <laughs> <laughs> kind of just I kind of fell into it I when I was at high school I basically wanted to take every kind of art subject that there was and you know anything that kind of involved drawing or making you know in, in some way um, took technical drawing and when I was in sixth form which is now year 12 we had the opportunity to do photography and so I just took took that um, as an elective because it was I could do it kind of alongside art and um and then also took it in, in seventh form, wasn't sort of stunningly good at it um, in terms of portfolios for kind of um, bursary art, did better in painting than I did in photography. When I, I knew I wanted to go to art school, but I wasn't super specific about what I wanted to do there. I thought I wanted to do film. I went to Canterbury and I had also all the way through um, high school had been involved in amateur sort of drama society. Um, and had really loved that and I thought maybe making films would be a way to kind of to sort of marry those two things Mm -hmm. and then in my first year at Canterbury I made a short film that was pretty terrible Um, (laughs) 
and uh, realized that maybe that wasn't the thing. In some ways, fell back on photography a little bit. It's not that I disliked it. I, I always enjoyed it, but it wasn't. I, I always sort of say it was that, your backup plan. <laughs> it wasn't even. It wasn't even really that. It was more that. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting because I look at art schools now, and you know they they're very interdisciplinary, and I think that really would have suited me. I think it wasn't so much that I didn't want to pick photography. I just didn't want to pick anything. I wanted to be able to do all of the things. And so in some ways it felt like it didn't really it didn't really matter. You know, I, I loved being in the dark room, so, um, and I loved going out and taking photos as well. So it wasn't a bad choice. Um, it was it was just a, a little bit of a sort of an automatic choice rather than a, you know, I see, teach photography and I see students who some of them are just so driven like they've just wanted to do photography and that's their they're really kind of their one thing that they want to do and I always feel slightly embarrassed because I wasn't like that you know photography is I don't want this to sound like a bad thing because it's it's not for me it's a really positive thing photography is one of the tools that I use it's funny isn't it because you could probably do you know be 99% of the rest of the population that do different jobs and let's face it, most people fall in to... Yeah, <laughs> But totally. when, when you're an artist, yeah. you know, there's an element of guilt that if you say you fell into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because it, it, it wasn't this calling. Yeah, yeah this absolutely. thunderbolt coming yeah, out of the yeah. sky saying absolutely. you will do it. So what was the route from, you know, wh when did you end up at Massey teaching? Yeah, so um, I did, yeah, so I did my undergraduate degree at Canterbury and, um, and started to sort of push the boundaries of photography, particularly in my fourth year in terms of making kind of stuff that wasn't, that involved other sort of media. Um, and then I pretty much straight away moved to the UK and I was there for about five years. Yeah. Were you creating art? No, no. Uh, Same time. I would have liked to have been, but I sort of got there and started working straight away. And um, those kind of jobs are not usually short hours. Um, you know, there was a lot of overtime and I just never got into the kind of the groove of it over mm -hmm. there and always sort of regretted that. Um, kind of tried to get it going a few times, but it just didn't really happen for me. And I think there's often a period anyway, sort of post-degree. Yeah. yeah, I think that, so. Um, sort of working out. Yeah, exactly. How to do it. Yeah, do I want to do this? How yeah. do I do it? And I think I also severely underestimated the network that I'd built up in my undergraduate degree. I was just so sort of excited to go out and see a bit of the world that I didn't realise that actually what I was leaving behind was actually really valuable um, and how much how important networks are in the art world. Not only for getting opportunities, but also just for supporting you to, in making and things mm. like that. Um, so yeah, we came back to, uh, oh, I came back to New Zealand, um, brought my English partner with me um, at the end of 2002. It happens. Yeah, it does. Uh, and then um, spent a year working in retail because not really knowing what I was going to do with myself um, and then just had a chance encounter um, with Anne Noble who was like you should come and do a master's. Two weeks later I was in the master's program here at Massey. Oh, wow. It was really fast. Started doing a little bit of teaching. The first year I, I did a little bit of assisting and then in my second year I taught my first class which was a Photoshop kind of class um, and then just kind of hung around and kept um, as a fixed termer and then as a senior tutor and then as a lecturer and yeah so I just kept kind of kind of kept at it um, like a bad penny. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you're still, and that, so when was that? 2003? Uh, yeah, I started 2000, 2004 and five was the, when I was doing my master's, yeah. yeah. Which actually I didn't really do much photography in, so was uh, that because it was an interdisciplinary master's it was really nice to be able to kind of try out some other stuff so what were you doing um I, I ended up i did i tr made a bunch of things but i ended up um making this kind of uh installation piece i was um that i was thinking about and writing about um how the act of making can facilitate agency in women's lives um so looking at sort of particularly sort of historically um, craft-based practices as a as a form of expression, not just a kind of a um, you know something a sort of a hobby or something, but a, a actually as a kind of a sanctioned form of having some sort of self-expression. Ah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So is that when did you make Singularity? Because that was the first yeah that project was I that thought. was the first um, thing that I finished post uh, MFA. So that would have been. I think we exhibited that in like January 2007. Um, so that sounded quite relevant yeah, first yeah, piece. Very Do you want to say so. something about yeah. that? Yeah, so that's, um, that work is uh, four images. They were at the time the only four images that had ever been taken of my parents and my sister and I together. And then one of them also includes our partners. And yeah, I was thinking about this idea of the family photo. Two of them are in a like a professional photographic studio. Two of them are just are both at, on, at Christmas actually. Somebody else sort of taking a photo of us at Christmas. Um, thinking about starting to that was the start of me sort of thinking about um, vernacular photography, snapshot photography, and using our family archive of of images. Um, and I just particularly like those those four because it's such a fake it's such a fake construct the family photo. One of the things, one of them I, I particularly love because, you know, we're all sitting there in the studio and smiling and what you don't know from that photo is that <laughs> before the lead up to it, the photographer had told us to wear matching clothes and we're not really a matching clothes kind of a family. And so there was this big kind of... <laughs> How matching of, did he expect? Or she of, expect? Who knows? So <laughs> there was this big kind of. Um, I think that my, I think my mum had won that sitting at some sort of like fair or something. Um, uh, yeah. So we. Um, the thing I remember was that my mum and my dad and I managed to match, but we. My sister was. So she had to wear something that she wasn't happy with, and you know, it's just that it's that. Um, uh, the expectations around what it should be like, like how, why would it have mattered if our clothes hadn't matched, you know? And so, yeah, you go into a studio and this thing happens and you look like, you know, you get sort of posed and stand in a certain kind of hierarchy and, you know, in, in both of the photos we've got, you know, Dad standing up at the back and, you know, it's just, it's so, it's so kind of false. And then you've got these other two where we've kind of arranged ourselves a little bit more and you get a little bit more of kind of how people kind of arrange themselves. Anyway, so I took, I had those four photos and I um, essentially stitched um, into them, stitched kind of patterns across them. I was thinking about the idea, I mean, in, in some ways it's kind of literal, I was thinking about the idea of stitching families together, but of also the photos doing that, you know, and, and about how photos, you know, we, we take photos of the happy times in our lives, we tend not to photograph when we're having a big argument or something's going wrong, you know, and 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 as a result, you know, if somebody just looked at your family, you know, if an, if an alien found a photo album, they'd think, you know, people were happy all the time. Um, 
so yeah, just thinking about the the kind of the artificiality of that, but also those are our markers for memory and they're important to us, you know, and, and so you can't just dismiss them as being artificial because they they hold a place in our lives. Like two of those, you know, photos my parents still have framed in their house and and it's important to them, you know. Unstitched. Yeah, unstitched, yeah. The it's interesting that it's, it's somewhere between, you know, looking at them online, uh, it was almost an act of destruction yeah. as well as stitching Absolutely. together. Yeah, it was yeah. hard to know looking yeah. from the outside yeah. what you were going Which for more stronger yeah. or whether it was something both. to do with both. Yeah. Both, definitely. And um, it's actually quite hard to do, especially, you know, five years working in a lab, you are, you know, literally handling, print, handling prints with, with white gloves. Um, stabbing holes in them was actually, it was quite difficult. The first one was actually quite difficult to do. Really fascinating. The first time I exhibited those, two people came up to me at the. Do opening. you mean physically difficult to do, or also difficult as in like you destroy destroying yeah, an image? destroying okay, a, yeah. a photographic print. Like I found it yeah. hard because um, it was so against my training. Yeah. You know, yeah. Two people came up to me at the opening. One of them said, "Oh wow, this work. You know, it's amazing the way you've stitched your family together. It's there's so much love." And then the other person said to me. Oh wow! It's amazing the way that you've um, you've stabbed your family, and exactly, noticed yeah. that one yeah. of them actually, like the hole goes through my mum's eye. Right, like, oh, yeah. you've even stabbed your mum in the eye. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I sort of realised um, getting that reaction response from two two different people that 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 work is not about my family. It's about it's about the family of the person who comes to it. So, <laughs> you know, that people will see what they want to see in it. Yeah, you know, yeah. if they want to see a family lovingly stitched together, then they'll see that's what they'll see. Yeah. Um, and also and quite universal, versa. the love and hate in oh, all of families. Course. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that, and it reminded, only when I saw that online did it, I realised that when we had the photo book thing here, mm. who was the French oh, artist? Yeah, um, I didn't realise how... Yeah, Carol Benita. He must have been... Well yeah, into that. Yeah, time. we did yeah. a um, uh, we did a workshop together for high school students, which was really cool. Right. Yeah. yeah really cool. And then, I mean, there's something also in that first series. I mean, I think it was interesting because um, you know you talk about the domestic activities of stitching, so that comes in early on, and there's something per very personal about it. So a kind of another theme in lots of your ongoing work. Um, and then Reasons for Silence is the next one that I, I sort of pulled out as one that I thought was great just because mm. of the fact you, not just because of the fact, but I love the way you took these tablecloths and napkins mm. and other things from yeah. op shops, I assume, and printed directly onto them. Yeah. I thought, again, it's a lovely melding of the domestic and yeah. the photographic. Um, do you want to say something about that project? Yeah, that project, um, they were they were all from op shops. I actually um, would occasionally um, wander into an antique shop and see something really beautiful that I would have quite liked to print <laughs> on, but I um, partly just through um, only wanting to buy things that were inexpensive because I was buying quite a lot of them. But also I decided um, to use objects that society wasn't valuing anymore. So um, if, if something was kind of deemed a particularly amazing example of an embroidered tablecloth and it, and it was in a an antique shop even though in actual fact I, it, lots of the things that I found in op shops were just as amazing if not better made because sort of society had put a value on that I decided not to go in that route so yeah I had a I had a collection of um, secondhand textile domestic textiles um, and I also had a collection of photographs um, 
that those photographs I was kind of taking while making the sort of three or four bodies of work before that, partly wanting to get back into taking my own photos again, um, and partly just as a literally a leisure activity for me. Um, that was the project where I started photographing um, in square format and just found I really liked it and um, would take my camera when we went on holiday and usually that meant staying with friends or family and I would just wander around their houses, their gardens, their suburbs and um, essentially take photos and with always in the back of my mind that I was sort of making some sort of body of images that was about um, don't really want to use the, the term everyday life because it's a specific kind of um, it's domesticity, it's home more than every day. Um, and, uh, you know, what, what that actually sort of looks like. And particularly looking for kind of moments where it looked like maybe somebody had just walked out of the room or just walked out of the image that, you know, there was evidence of people there. Um, and so, yeah, I ended up with quite a large kind of um, body of images, which I only used a small number for for that show. I still, part of me wants to go back to those. Um, and uh, I actually made that work while I was on a residency um, at Samuel Marsden Collegiate School um, in, here in Wellington and they had wanted me to teach their students cyanotypes and um, so I figured, I, I thought, and I'd been wanting to do a project making cyanotypes as well, particularly because they print on fabric. Um, and yeah, so I just sort of brought those three things together. Um, and yeah, there's something really lovely about um, Using objects that have been used for generate you know for for years before as things in people's homes. Um, what was really great about them was a lot of them I toned with tea, um, and the um, which gives, sort of softens the blue a little bit in the cyanotype. And what would happen is um, an item that looked completely clean when I bought it, um, when I toned it with the tea, the tea would pick up. Uh, old stains right. that had been kind of bleached out or washed out but there was something there was some residue yeah. left in the yeah. fabric and so you Perfect. started to get all these kind of markers of of use which were really beautiful um, yeah and it was um, yeah the title I mean that title uh, I think I, my life was pretty busy at the time and I was just really looking for those kind of moments of, of silence you know and moments of quiet and probably reacting to, because when was that, 2010, probably reacting to, um, you know, a world which was really starting to shift from the world that I grew up in, you know, um, you know, everybody having the, walking around with the internet in their pockets suddenly and everyone's on phones and everyone's, you know, it, it, it was, um, yeah, maybe a little bit of a kind of a pulling back from that a wee bit. And I'm still interested more about on the domestic side I suppose yeah. whether that's because um, obviously with your photos you family photos you've used the idea of being the sewing being a kind of domestic activity yeah. and the tablecloths yeah what's the what's the where are we going with this because it, it feels like yeah. um, it feels like a lot of photography over the last 10 20 years you know can address um, ideas about representation of women but mm. yours is a slightly more oblique look at it because yeah. it's not it's not saying all oh, this domesticity is um you know w women being oppressed in the home yeah. it's a bit more subtle and it's it's about home and domesticity being something warm and yeah i think so i mean i think um 
very much um, I am yeah I'm very much interested in what makes a home um, and I'm sure we'll get to some of the later works but um, in the, those early works I was thinking of it very much as the the dwelling that you lived in but also the people that you live in that dwelling with and you know when you you grow up in one family and one home and then you um, you you know you leave and you start making a home in other places and you um, you start you know you live with different people whether they're flatmates or people that you're in a relationship with and you start to have to make that home yourself and then I guess you know eventually most people sort of go full circle and they have kids and then they're in charge of making that family home and so um, I think when you're a child a home your home is a place that you just take for granted it's just what it is um, and it's not till you leave that you start to interrogate how that's actually put together how that's constructed I think, you know, on a personal level, um, I, when I was living in the UK, I um, had a bit of depression uh, and I think I was pretty homesick um, for New Zealand. Um, and so, you know, coming back in 2002, um, I also came to live in Wellington, which wasn't, where I'd never lived in the North Island before. Um, so I didn't know a lot of people. So it took, you know, it takes a wee while to sort of make connections and to meet people and, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think part of me was, it was, part of it was a personal investigation yeah, of yeah. what, what is home, you know, and um, having, yeah, gone from, you know, renting properties and so moving from place to place and then um, buying our first house, which for about the first five years that we lived there, I kind of treated like a flat because it, that so was... We're still sort of what I was used to, you know. Yeah. To a certain point, I was like, "Oh, I don't actually have to live like this." Like, you know, it's it's um. So yeah, just I think um, some people do that kind of, you know, they'll move into a space and five minutes later it's beautiful, and other people five years later they still got boxes in the corner, you know. And um, I think I was yeah just thinking a lot about what that process was, and I guess. Um, I think in terms of the um, using the, the the textile craft, I've never wanted that to be a um, a universal statement because I'm really aware that it's a it's an area that, while it sometimes has sort of um, resurgences and I guess maybe is kind of in one now. Um, it's that's not you know that that's not necessarily true for everybody, but it's very true for me um, that you know growing up in a family where um, we made each other presents and we you know you you made if you made something for somebody that was showing them that you loved them so um, yeah that's that that's kind of underpins a lot of what I yeah made. that's really insightful yeah because um, yeah. It sounds like you had a great childhood. It was pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah surrounded by bush. I mean, you know, it was great. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, and then and then again, I pulled out um, Artifact from 2012 because mm. I felt that was a nice mix of um, yeah. the, the cushions. Are they cushions? Yeah. That, you know, with all the embroidery on, which have all these um, sort of aphorisms oh on them yeah. that, you know, you get in a horrible birthday card or something. And so, what was the process? You scan, you scan them, but you move the scan. Yeah. Because I thought I just I liked that a lot because I felt yeah. that was that was mixing your domestic, but then 
looking at photography yeah. and you know the nature of artifice in photography the nature of artifice yeah absolutely can you say some more about that project yeah so that project um was um sometimes uh, even though um it doesn't make any difference to anybody looking at them um sometimes you have a project that you kind of um plan for and then there are other projects that happen while you're making that other project and you find something and you you think it's cool so you kind of put it to one side and that was one of that was kind of a side project from reasons for silence because i found all those objects at in op shops while i was kind of looking for text and i found them, every single one of them in a different op shop there's, so there's um are there seven of them i think there are seven so there's six um there was actually another cushion, but it was bigger than the other, so it didn't really fit on the scanner. And then there's this weird <laughs> thing that's supposed to be, it's kind of like a bit of lace curtain that's got happy anniversary kind of, um, I say woven into it, but I don't even think it's woven. Um, uh, and then kind of stuck on a, a it's in a round th- um, embroidery loop. Um, yeah. And uh, they would have been, I think they would have been sold in the 1990s, I imagine at the warehouse, but I could be wrong. The fact that I found them all over the country <laughs> suggests that it was somewhere like the warehouse. They are mass-produced, but they are mass-produced to look as though they're handmade. I mean, they don't. You get close to them, you can tell they're not handmade, but that's that's the aesthetic that they're going for. Um, and so I was really interested in this kind of um, this yeah kind of mass production of the handmade. Um, and then. I try. I tried taking pictures of those. I tried imaging those things in so many different ways before um, I hit on the the scanning and the moving. Um, and what I liked about them, so I would hold them on the A3 scanner, and you can see my hands in the in the work. Um, and then I would just sort of move them slightly. The scanner had moved really slowly because I was scanning them at really high resolution. It took about six minutes for the whole scan. And so as it moved, I would kind of, as, as the scan head moved, I would kind of move the cushion or um, sort of up and down or across. And so you get digital artifacts in the, um, in the image. And what I liked about that was that you had these objects which um, were supposed to look handmade but were actually sort of mass produced. And you've got a digital image which is supposed to be artificial but is kind of handmade because it's, you know, literally kind of made by hand. Um, so uh, yeah, I was just really playing with those that artificial handmade, um, but also wanting to disrupt the picture plane a bit for people. Um, been reading a bit about the um, the idea of the fat, flatbed um, picture plane. It's a really um, famous essay by Leo Steinberg. Um, he was the first person to use the term postmodernism in relation to art uh, to visual art. And um, he talked about particularly Robert Rauschenberg at making work on a table rather than on the wall and how that democratises the work. It can be approached from any um, direction. So I was really liked that idea of the sort of the flatbed scanner being, being a, f- a flat thing rather than being held up, even though you put them on the wall and then they kind of look that way up. Um, I showed those in, at Blue Oyster in Dunedin and um, did an interview on... Um, Oh, I can't remember the name of it down there. Uh, the local, the sort of student radio station down there, and um, had this amazing conversation with this guy, who just talked about the voids that the work sits in for about forty-five minutes. It was really incredible. He had a lot to say about the voids, um, but they are kind of they're this very sort of inky kind of blackness that the yeah. that these objects kind of are being kind of thrust out of at the viewer. Um, 
and uh, yeah, out of out of the void. I honestly don't really know what that means. <laughs> I, I just like the you know they're not they're not nice things to look at. Not are they? really, no. <laughs> and but I like the you know the reproducibility of the mass you know yeah. of the cushions, and I felt like you were disrupting that mass reproducibility of the image kind yeah. of thing. I quite like that yeah. aspect about it. And it's funny, isn't it, with the digital image? You know, what with people returning to do um, various chemical processes and yeah. using, it's everyone's trying to almost get away from the digital image as a pure representation. They're trying to disrupt it in yeah. some way. Like yeah. I, I was asked whether I had some old cards because someone was trying to do some work where he wanted destroyed cards so that there'd be this kind of weird yeah, colour right. colour thing going through some of the images. And, you know, it's funny how everyone's trying to... Yeah break the perfection of, yeah, yeah. of digital. It's really interesting, the digital sort of analog divide thing. As someone who, um, you know, I don't, I, I think a lot of people, um, if they were just looking at my work and they didn't really know me or my work background, like my paid work background, they probably wouldn't think that I was very digitally sort of literate um, because I don't necessarily do that in my work. I think, I think sitting... I think sitting at a computer being a Photoshop art worker for 10 hours a day for sort of close to five years actually just turned me off it a wee bit. Um, um, I mean, I do all my own sort of colour correcting and scanning and stuff now, but, um, and, and actually a lot, of, a lot of the work I make requires quite a lot of digital work to make like patterns and things for, for things that I actually make physically. So there is a lot of digitisation in my work. It's just not very visible. Um, but I have always seen the digital as not being that different from the analog in that, to, in two ways. One is that it's it's just a tool, you know, they're, they're just tools and um, they have different, they sort of, in some ways they have different meanings, but in other ways that they don't. I mean, photography is just a, a huge, um, the whole history of photography is of technological change, you know, that's just constant change. The other thing is that I think people really forget that computers are designed by people. So there's nothing, and, and algorithms are designed by people. Um, the, it might not be designed by the person sitting at the computer, but it's still a person made it. Um, you know, people talk about, um, you know, Photoshop doing things. Well, Photoshop is an inanimate, unless you, you know, set a, a batch process going or something it's only going to do what you tell it to do and um, I love the thinking about the um, origin of the word digital it's digits that's our hands right our hands are the original digital thing um, and I think the other thing that really um, came brought me around to that way of thinking was that um, because I was doing a lot of kind of retouching work early on I was also using like a tablet with a pen a Wacom tablet and um, it's almost more like drawing than it is like sort of doing something on a computer right so um, you retouching and, and kind of compositing um, is only as good as the person doing it you know um, and um, students are always wanting quick shortcuts and um, you know Photoshop they keep bringing out new versions of it and they're always trying to make it easier to cut out here from a background but the best way to do it is still just sitting and cutting it out you yeah. know so yeah that's kind of how I feel about about digitization I guess yeah anyway bit of I, I'm yeah I'm I'm I don't know see I I think it's generational thing partly yeah but when I see kids true. going around with their 
film cameras. I think, what? <laughs> what the fuck? But um, that's it's just, probably our fault. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, it probably is. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's okay if it's has a reason out, out yeah. you know, for the wider practice that I, you know, yeah. I want that. Not even look, because no. you can get the same look, but I want to be in, in, enjoy that process of mm. creating images. That's fine. It's, yeah. But, um, you know, anyway, yeah. I'll get into that. I was going to mention Prospects Fearful. Mm. Another great title. I love yeah. where that came from as well. Yeah. Um, back in the West Coast, um, you know, yeah. explain explain that. Yeah, so Prospects Fearful, that's the most been the most recent one. Um, uh, that's a project that I worked on with my partner Sean, and um, which I wrote down and I said, "How was that <laughs> working with a partner?" It was. Uh, it was quite a hard it one. It was good just, because we it was good. managed it well. You sound like uh, my son when I say I was school. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Yeah, no, um, no, actually, it worked out really well. Um, it, it could have gone badly, um, but luckily it didn't. Um, we the way that we did it was that we. Um, we essentially allocated each other, we allocated tasks to each of us and then kind of worked on those separately and then would sort of come back together to discuss things and then kind of would kind of do that. So, so we, we each had our own tasks within the, uh, within the project. But yeah, that, that was looking at um, a journey that was taken in the 1840s by a, an English surveyor whose name was Thomas Brunner. Uh, and uh, he travelled with four Māori, um, two guides, Kehu and Pikiwati, and their wives, whose names we unfortunately don't know. Brunner was, he worked for the New Zealand company, but in a weird sort of way where he wasn't kind of paid, he was paid, he was a, he was a contractor basically, I think. There were a number of young, he was pretty young, he was only like 25, and there were a number of sort of um, surveys who, um, if they found land, would have been kind of rewarded for that, if you like, found sort of farmable land. And so they were looking for, they'd heard stories about um, a piece, a, a large swathes of beautiful open this sunny land. area yeah. called the West Coast. Yeah, that was kind of, um, that <laughs> was sort of uh, west of, of <laughs> what we now know as St. Arnold and the Nelson Lakes. Um, but inside the mountains, and because people had been on the west, or um, well, Maori had been on the west coast for for a long time, obviously, but um, Europeans had been on the west coast for quite. They'd sort of come in and out of the west coast for a while as sealers and whalers, particularly down in South Westland. But no, but nobody was settling there. Um, took the gold rush in the in the eighteen sixties for that to happen. Yeah, Brunner, um, he'd been he'd already been down with um, Heathy and Fox walking just directly down the west coast so he but this inland he wanted to check out this inland route and it's a famous quite a famous story in new zealand because they had a terrible time uh especially their trip down um encountered extraordinarily bad weather um they traveled down the bola river which is not a particularly hospitable kind of walk it's fairly sort of steep-sided gorge and um the river was constantly in flood so they couldn't catch eels to eat and there's not much else there in the bush when they got to the coast, they were sort of eating seaweed because they were so desperate. Stayed with local Māori who were very hospitable to him, probably mostly because his guides were both from the West Coast originally. So they were probably mostly being hospitable to them. 
took him all the way down south. He only sort of turned back because he sprained his ankle and he couldn't kind of keep going. And this is all through, he wrote quite a thorough journal. He wrote a journal, journal yeah. So he wrote, um, and um, he also um, made a bunch of drawings and maps and other notes, which about a month before the end of the journey had got wet and he was drying them over the fire and he left them there when he fell asleep. <laughs> And then they fell on the fire. Yeah. Uh, and he was—he writes in his journal about how he's a bit annoyed about that. Um, but he had a stroke on the way home, so he would have been 26 when he had a stroke. So it was a hard, hard physical journey. Um, and your project was yeah, so to project, sort of follow in these footsteps. In a way, I mean, we didn't—we weren't going to sort of walk everywhere that he walked. What we realised, um, we were—we were travelling a lot between Picton and between Picton and particularly Greymouth, but other parts of the coast, because I was travelling to photograph for No Town particularly, we, I think we just made a joke one day that we were, like, just driving. Brana, you know, why did he bother walking? You could just drive, you know, sort of ha-ha-ha. Realising that, you know, the road actually pretty much sort of follows where he went, which is not, uh, which when you think about it is not surprising, given that he went where he was taken by Māori. Māori knew the easiest, they knew the easiest routes, um, so funnily enough, that's where the roads went as well. You know, it's not a sort of, doesn't take a lot to kind of work that out. But um, yeah, we just, because we were going back and forth so much and it seemed like something we could kind of do while we were traveling. And so, yeah, just over a period, it, it was quite a few years in the making that project because we would just photograph a little bit every time we went down. We'd stop at one or two places and then sort of on the way back. Um, and we only did one trip really where we specifically photographed a lot for that project, which is we went down into southwestern for it. And we, you used a um, pinhole camera? Pinhole camera, yeah. we did. We tried lots of things. Sean shot a lot on the digital camera. Um, and um, Just looked too good. <laughs> yeah, it did. Partly because we kept hitting good weather. <laughs> and we were trying to sort of say something about the kind of the okay. atmosphere yeah. of the yeah. trip. And he didn't have a lot of good weather, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, so we um, we ended up um, yeah pulling out the old the old pinhole camera, um, which Sean had used for a couple of previous projects, and we just really liked it, and we liked the panoramic. So we shot on six by twelve. It's a five four pinhole camera, but we just put a six by twelve back on it, and we were getting these lovely kind of panoramic shots, which really. We wanted you to feel like you were in, you know, to feel a bit enveloped by the landscape when you were um, when you were looking at them, and so we ended up printing them on fabric. They're about two meters long by about one meter high, um, or the other way around. Was that some, digital some print vertical. onto the fabric? Yeah, so it's a it's a dye sublimation print onto a polyester fabric, and it, it's a double sided print, so it's printed on both sides, which gives a really richness to the. Um, to the blacks and particularly when you hang them up sometimes digital prints on fabric if you hang them up and they've got light behind them they can get a bit pale and it's hard to see but printing both sides meant that we got a you can really the, the images really stand out even when they're backlit um, and they've got a little bit of a sort of floatiness to them and we hung most of them kind of in the center of the room in a kind of a formation that you can kind of walk through them so you know it's a sort of metaphorical kind of journey um, and then so, um, yeah, so those images, uh, yeah, we, sh we shot them together. That's a nice thing about pinhole. It's the, it's the best way to dem democratically take a photograph um, because there's no viewfinder. So you can just be like, oh, should it be a bit to the left? Oh, yeah, okay, it's about going to be about there. That looks nice. Um, and then Sean, um, 
did actually did quite a lot of overlay work. He was like staining bits of paper with tea and with the juices of native plants and stuff like this. Um, tea is quite important in Brunner's journal. He okay. writes about when he loses, when he uses up the last of his tea, and <laughs> you know he's his English. Um, and um, <laughs> so yeah, he um, Sean would sort of stain bits of paper and scan those and then overlay them. And you know, we it's. Um, in some ways, it's quite a heavy-handed look, but we wanted it to really. We wanted them to sort of emulate nineteenth-century kind of painting, that kind of have that darkness to them. And then, alongside those, um, I made two other sets of work. I made a series of embroideries, which are text from the journal, which kind of represent the world that Brunner left was kind of leaving behind. This very kind of, um, you know, Victorian kind of straight-laced, very kind of, um, very structured kind of domestic life. Uh, and then I also made a series of um, paradai, which are a woven sandal that he writes about learning how to make. Um, his boots, he took two pair of boots and they both rotted away in the end. He writes about how he was scared that when his boots were gone he would be stranded, but that he's learnt to make the paradai and um, he can make a pair in about 20 minutes and they'll last two or three days and he can actually, I think he says, trudge along merrily. For us, paradai are a literal, very literal kind of um, marker for the support that he had from Māori. Brunner is most often described as an explorer, but actually he went on a really long guided walk, you know. he. Um, he wasn't going anywhere that these, the other people he was travelling with hadn't been before. Did you say their partners were with them? Their wives were with them, yeah. Um, and Brunner never names them. There's a historian How from... How did he find that out then in um, historical documents? Oh, he, he writes about them. Oh, okay. He calls them Kehu's wife and Peaky's wife. Okay, right. Um, but he never calls them by their name. Yeah. Um, he didn't want them to go. They... Um, the guides insisted that their wives come with them because they, I'm guessing, they knew it was going to be a really long trip. He writes about how annoying they, the wives are when they, they wander off into the bush and we have to stop and wait for them. It doesn't seem to occur to him that they might be looking for food or, you know, Just trying to go like, away from him. Yeah, maybe because he's probably really <laughs> annoying. This, you know, this this sort of. You can imagine this kind of 25-year-old sort of go-getter little yeah. English guy, you know, upper class. I think we're getting there. Mm. Just kind of, you know, I suppose um, trying to summarise your preoccupations <laughs> with home and the West Coast. I was, I've written down suburbia, but not suburbia at all, really. Um, and the domestic. It, yeah, I would say. I would, and everything has I would that in there. I would put community in rather than suburbia. Yeah, I think I think so. I I think what it comes down to is I'm really interested in the way that people connect to each other, um, particularly through objects and. Photographs are a really huge part of that. Um, and I think probably um, in terms of the, the different kind of um, media that I employ, photography is the one that is, that, that's a very much a, a general thing. Like that's, that's something that's kind of true to everybody, um, is that um, there wouldn't be many people out there in the world who aren't photographing their friends and family, you know. The textile thing, that is something that obviously historically has had that connotation, but that's all probably more my thing. That's probably more my, what I was saying before about, you know, um, making is important to me and having things, you know, made for you is quite special. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's about how we use objects 
whether photographic or handmade or other. I mean, you know, I'm not closing down other possibilities to just connect us to each other, you know, and to, to just try and feel like we're not alone in the world, really. What are you working on at the moment? Is there another yeah, project good question. coming up? Um, I'm actually just finishing off, well, I'm, I'm sort of not so much finishing off, I'm finally pulling together something that I started um, in 2015 when I was lucky enough to go to Plymouth University and do um, a residency there. Uh, I photograph quite a lot in Cornwall, um, historic mining sites there, because a lot of Cornish miners came to New Zealand, they kind of went everywhere. And I've also photographed in New Zealand sites where Cornish miners came to, and um, so I'm just working out how to um, kind of pull those images together, and I've done some test prints on fabric, and I think I'm going to be some kind of stitching those images together in a way, <laughs> which is quite fun. Uh, so that's my kind of plan for the summer, and then I've got a couple more. I've got a couple more projects. One of one I've been working on kind of little bit at a time over a number of years, which is about thinking about the about women who came out from settler women who came out particularly particularly from from the UK because I mean that's where most of our settlers came from back in the day just thinking about that what it would have been like to go from a place where you had community and the comforts of home to a place where you had to build that yourself because that's that would have been a lot like it, you know would have been really something uh, yeah a couple of other things that I'm just starting to think about Always got about four or five things on the go at the same time. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Really appreciate it. Cheers.